Okay, so hello everyone. My name is Kate Wilkinson and I am on YouTube now with Chris Roper and we are having a discussion which is part of a new platform called Digital Discourse ZA and it is a YouTube channel where you're watching this. So if you like it by the end of it, you can hit the subscribe button. Um, and it's a place for people to have discussions, share ideas and really chat about the important and pressing topics facing South Africans. Um, so, who am I? I'm Kate Wilkinson, um, I'm the Acting Deputy Editor of Africa Check. Um, we are the continent's first fact-checking organisation. We were set up in 2012 and what we do very simply is we verify what people say in the public domain. Uh, so, if you see a politician or a journalist or anyone really, including famous Afrikaans singers, saying things that you think aren't true, you can let us know, we look into it, we look at the evidence and sort fact from fiction, and then we publish. But I'm sure we're going to unpack a lot more during this discussion. So Chris, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, uh, my name is Chris Roper. I'm a, a Deputy Director at Code for Africa, and uh, I used to be the Editor-in-Chief of the Mail and Guardian. Um, we at Code for Africa, we do a bunch of stuff, but we mainly work on big technology platform and media projects. Um, so we've worked on sort of big projects like the Panama Papers coverage for, for Africa. Um, we have a fact-checking organization in East Africa called PesaCheck, and we do a lot of um, kind of digital misinformation analysis as well. Um, so yeah, and looking forward to the discussion. Yeah. So yeah, so maybe we should start um, just with maybe a bit of a, a background as to why we think it's important that uh, South Africa and South African media, media pay some attention to misinformation and disinformation and fake news and whatever we want to call it. Mm. I think I think part of the problem with this discussion about misinformation um, and propaganda and fake news is that a lot of a lot of the times it's presented as something new and for the most part, it's not. Um, for all of human history, there's been misinformation, there's been propaganda. Um, to, to be a politician is to stretch the truth in some form and see how far you, you can take a story. And what we're facing now isn't so much new as the, the way that information is spread um, has accelerated and it can be spread so much more quickly and to so many more people um, that we're facing rather a a challenge of, of platform and sharing, that's the new challenge we're facing. We're not really facing a, a challenge of a, a new phenomenon. Um, but basically, from Africa Check's perspective, part of our mandate is that we want to increase um, the quality of public debate. And for us, doing that is really increasing the accuracy of public debate. Because if you're South African, you know that South Africa has a lot of problems. Um, but in order to solve problems, you need to actually understand a problem. And if we're misinformed on a problem, if we have a limited or maybe completely wrong understanding of a problem, it's very hard to create um, a solution or try and create a plan or program to address that problem. So that's one of the things we do. So a lot of our focus is on what government says, because normally what government says is the basis of government policy. And then a sort of different take on it is as, as we approach the South African elections, um, people are ultimately going to be making a decision and all decisions are based on information. So we really look to help people get access to 
the best information with the necessary context so that they can use it to make an informed decision. Yeah, yeah so I tend to disagree um, with the first part of your formulation um, around it not being new. Um, I know we do like to say to people that there is a um, that it's not new that there are some tried and tested ways for dealing with propaganda misinformation that uh, media houses and um, civil society have already um, established. But actually, I think it is quite new. I mean, the, you know, first of all, there's never been a time when governments have had access to such massive technology platforms that allow them to influence the way their citizens think and act. And there's never been a time when uh, misinformation has been delivered directly to your hands 24 hours a day. So I, I kind of think we shouldn't underplay how new it is and how difficult it's going to be to, to not that you're doing this, of course, Kate, but how difficult it's going to be for people to understand what's going on, for, for, for me to understand what's going on, and, for, uh, and to come up with ways to combat it. You know? mm -hmm. I mean, I think just the fact that it's, it costs so little to unleash a, an army of bots um, around an issue is a real new problem. But also you can now niche your propaganda. You know, before there was kind of like quite crude us and them propaganda, whereas now it can be very specialized. You know, it can be actually around, um, you know, shut down Alex. Um, that would be my question to you is, sure, it has some similarities to the age old ways of, of propaganda, but don't you see that there's an actual new danger that we've never dealt with before that is very unfamiliar to us? Yes, and I, I think we share more common ground um, in that for since the beginning of civilization and humanity, people have tried to sway and influence other people. It's done to larger and lesser extents and degrees. And like you said, you know, 50 years ago, getting a message to out to 2 million people in your country um, with a piece of disinformation or propaganda that you wanted was a lot harder. Um, and you had to work a lot harder to do it. Whereas now, like you say, with very little money, you can probably reach a good 2 million people within, I don't know, a couple of days on Twitter. Um, so yeah, so I think I think what really, what, what it has resulted in is that we have to fight misinformation and propaganda on different approaches now. It's not so much having to just deal with the, the quality of the disinformation and trying to set the record straight, but we have to then um, make sure that how we fight it is appropriate for the different platforms that we're fighting it on. And who would you think the, the enemies are? You know, I mean, who are the people who we have to be careful of in terms of who's going to be, who's going to be taking advantage of this wonderful new world of being able to lie directly to somebody's, um, to somebody's profit? So at, at Africa Check, we see we have a long list of offenders. Um, it's it's everyone and anyone. It's it's from governments at the broad level. We see government ministers. We see spokespeople. Um, you know, we see private citizens who have sway online. Um, you know, a, a part of um, this discussion, which often doesn't get much focus, is that we see um, people taking advantage of um, others when it comes to health misinformation. Um, especially when it comes to people who are looking for cures or remedies um, for ailments or um, diseases. Um, so we, 
I think around elections, it's generally our eyes are, are turned and focused on governments and political parties. Um, also then slightly on interest groups um, or loose formations of people who would want to sway opinion. Um, but what we struggle with in South Africa, and I think maybe this is something, it is something that we desperately need, is that we haven't really had a large scale study or research project that's tried to identify and unpack the type of misinformation. So we tend to talk in anecdote um, when we know, especially from a fact checker's perspective, that anecdote will only get your understanding so far. Um, but I think it's varied. And do you have a take? Who do, who do you think we need to keep an eye on? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the obvious, speaking in a kind of a pan-African sense, the mm. most obvious um, bad player to watch out for are governments. Um, you know, and there's already a lot of uh, research showing that a lot of technology has been provided by China, for example, to different African governments in terms of surveillance technologies and um, part of surveillance technologies is misinformation um, strategies and platforms. So I think that's something we have to be very, very careful of. I also think that, um, you know, if you, I mean, the most obvious example of this, if you count the cryptos as business people, as opposed to just, you know, bandits, um, is how businesses can use this information to try and chart a different narrative around um, you know, corruption and that kind of thing. So I think business, government, definitely. And then, of course, there's, and those are the big ones that affect many lives, but then the kind of stuff that Africa Check has worked on and experienced a lot more than I, than I know about are things like personal attacks on um, especially women journalists, for example. You know, so sure, the misinformation can be around like, let's get people to vote for Brexit. It can also be around, let's drive somebody to despair and stop them from doing their job. And I guess you guys have had some examples of that recently. I think you've been looking at the Karima Brown stuff, for example, that kind of thing. Yeah, so we, um, we, we haven't really looked too much at that. So we, we follow quite a, a narrow straight line when it comes to our fact checking. So, and sometimes we get criticism for it um, because people think that the scope of what we're investigating should be much wider. But to ensure our, to, to ensure our principles of impartiality, when we, when we fact check something, we have to have a specific claim. So someone has to have said something which is presented as fact, and then it generally has to have a time frame of some sort attached to it. Um, so we haven't, we didn't do do anything around um, the targeting of uh, Karima Brown, um, but I mean, you were talking. Sorry, you were talking about the famous Afrikaans singer. I mean, didn't you, didn't oh. you guys do stuff around uh, the white genocide myth? Yes. Which yes. Results yeah. your female uh, researchers being vilified personally oh yes yeah so so that's that's so yeah what we're talking about is um a number of years ago now um one of our researchers fact-checked a claim um by steve hofmeyer where he claimed that south african that whites in south africa were being killed like flies and he made a very specific claim about the rate at which white farmers and that was the important um distinction in his claim the rate at which white farmers were being um, murdered in South Africa. Um, and as a result, um, not just the researcher who was involved in that, but our organization and subsequently other researchers have been targeted. And I think that's also an interesting part of this discussion is we often we often think of the, the fight between, um, you know, the truth and and the not truth <laughs> as, you know, someone says something false and 
you know, the, the fact checkers or the journalists arrive and they say, no, that's not true. Um, and there is often an increasingly a pushback against that. Um, and sometimes it can be, often it's a bit reflexive, you know, no one likes to be told that they're wrong. People like it even less if it's done in public and that's fine. Um, but then we do find um, very strategic pushback sometimes against um, our work. And how it's often framed is through um, accusations of bias and specifically conspiracy theories around funding. Um, I don't know if you guys have experienced any of that. Um, well, I certainly experienced it at the Madden Guardian when Iqbal Survey phoned up and just told us he would uh, expose us as being funded by the CIA if we didn't stop writing stories about him um, being funded by pensioners, basically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, I'm a Bungani, um, experience the same things where mm -hmm. often you'll see on Twitter saying, yeah, but, you know, you're funded by the CIA, we don't know who's, who you're funded by. And of course, there's an actual URL, which is I'm a Bungani funders where you can see who they're funded by mm -hmm. so yeah absolutely and i mean that's all part of the classic misinformation mm -hmm. uh trope, which is you know immediately make up some other kind of outrageous mm -hmm. fact to try and draw attention away from assault and of course trump is the is mm -hmm. the hero when it comes to that let's say hero i meant something else mm -hmm. uh, well i i had yeah um but, but you're talking about the uh famous african singer you said his name last and they've conjured him up like voldemort so now you're gonna have to have the trolls coming after you but your mistake, but um, that African singer, part of that white genocide um, kind of myth on and, and misinformation on Twitter, um, part of that was, of course, the American alt-right chipping in. Do you, I mean, I see, and I'm wondering if you agree with me, but do you see that the, um, kind of social media-driven misinformation makes it much, much, much easier for misinformation to become this kind of collaborative um, this collaborative weapon uh, around the world, you know, where, for example, uh, alt-right groups and Nazi groups will now collaborate on pushing the different memes and the different tropes of misinformation, like white genocide in this case. Mm -hmm. It makes it a much more um, dangerous and effective uh, weapon of evil now, you know, whereas I think before um, often government propaganda was quite internalized. Actually, I could be wrong about that, but this is what it feels like to me. Whereas now, actually, you could have the entire world invested in screwing over your country for reasons which have nothing to do with your country. Yeah, I I agree. I think that the the way that information and in this example, talking about um, the idea of white genocide in South Africa, the way that it's shared online in recent years has definitely ramped up and I was um, I was at an event a few weeks ago and I was listening to a number of people who work in misinformation around the world and, and one woman in particular monitors um, mis and disinformation in Russia and she said something really interesting and she said that you have to remember that the point of this information whether it's propaganda or disinformation is very seldom to convince that's not the reason that it's being released. Its main motive is to confuse and to yeah. make it seem as though the, the truth is a relative concept. And that's, that's what I, we see a lot of online in South Africa and I'm sure around the world is that even when we get the most outrageous stories, whether they're about white genocide or they're about politics in South Africa, they seem outlandish 
if you're an experienced media consumer, you can probably dismiss them at face value. But if you don't have those, those, those skills or that experience, the online space is very confusing. Um, and it can be very hard to, to actually determine what's true because you have so much information of such a varying quality coming at you from so many angles. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is a good time to to define what we mean by misinformation, disinformation. I don't know if you want to have a first stab at it. Yeah, the first thing I'd say is I'm really happy we haven't called it fake news. <laughs> it's like my worst term. Defending the term fake news. Oh, have probably, you? Yeah, probably for the same reason that all those other white idiots on Twitter say outrageous things because I wanted to be noticed. But I actually, I, I don't mind the term fake news at all because I think it's a kind of a term which belongs to people. So you, you, yes. you as a kind of expert and professional are really hurt by the imprecision of that term. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, me as somebody who's supposedly sensible is very scared of the way that Donald Trump has weaponized that term. But at the same time, it's kind of like, it's the term everybody, everybody yeah. knows and uses. As I said this, I realize it's really stupid, but that was why I defended it. <laughs> I'll stop defending it now. So, um, so, so, yeah. So, yeah. I, I think I think um, from that perspective, it is the people's word um, when it comes to this problem. And yes. if, as long as car party person, yeah, as long as um, as long as people are talking about it, if they're not using the hundred percent right words, that's fine. Um, but I do think w when it comes to and here it comes back to understanding the problem. That's what we're very big at at Africa is you have to understand the problem and. Um, for those listening who, who maybe don't know where the term came from, the, the term fake news was specifically created to describe online websites which were created to look almost identical to traditional news websites. And they would write really scandalous, shocking stories with the aim of driving viral traffic to those websites and they'd be lined with ads and they'd make ad revenue. And in some cases, for example, we had Canadian teenagers making tens of thousands of dollars with this tried and tested method. And we've seen them in South Africa too. Um, so we like to reserve that word. We're purists in that sense. We like to reserve the word for, for those websites. Um, but then, yeah, there's, there's a lot of debate about the terms and exactly what, but our, our main distinction is we like to talk about misinformation and disinformation. Um, and in both cases, it's information which is incorrect or partially incorrect or maybe misleading. And when it comes to misinformation, it's information that you see shared um, mainly without a, a, an intention to mislead. Um, there isn't the intention to deceive. Um, so if you think possibly about a few, if you're on a WhatsApp group, I mean, who isn't, um, you will see you get messages about security warnings or telling you not to drive along certain roads because they're protests. And most of those are shared out of an intention to help or or to keep your friends and family safe. Um, and then we talk about disinformation, which is information which is specifically created and it's incorrect or partially incorrect and then inserted into the public discourse by people who are intending to mislead or deceive. So those are generally the, the distinctions that we have. Yeah, so I think the misinformation, disinformation um, um, divide is important for people to understand. Um, do you, I mean, have you got any examples of, um, of disinformation campaigns 
in the last uh, year or so that you think might be illustrative for, for the people uh, list, for people listening now? Um, I mean, I can start with one of ours if you'd like. Mm, please. Which was, um, so at the um, ANC uh, national elections in December, 2000, end of 2017, we did an analysis of um, a bot and uh, sock puppets being used to try and push the Nkosana um, Dlamini Zuma um, uh, party, uh, you know, um, faction at, the, at those elections. And those were American uh, bots that had been repurposed. And I think there's a recent example now we're busy working on around the um, Alex shutdown um, hashtag. And that is, we're busy working on the data now, but it seems pretty clear that that is um, a hashtag that's been pushed by a bunch of accounts that have just been created specifically for that. I don't know if yeah. you guys have any, any sort of other, perhaps even non-political examples. So I think I think this is a really um, interesting example of the the value that you and um, your organisation adds because we do none of that. <laughs> um, so so we uh, we like I said we, we look at what people say or tweet or you know print and we check if it's true and that's where I think that you know different organizations working on different angles can help us understand this a bit better. Um, so we're obviously in the thick of elections at the moment. Uh, this year has been busy for us. We had elections in Senegal and Nigeria in February and we're all gearing up for the elections in South Africa um, next month. And so we've been, we've been, we, we started as an organization in 2012. So in South Africa, we covered the, in fact, checked the 2014 national election, followed by the 2016 local government election. And now we've gone full cycle and we're back at a national election. And over the years, we've identified a number of different misinformation trends around elections. And for those who have been listening and watching, um, I, I said misinformation. Um, and that's because we are very careful not to um, ascribe intent when it comes to the fact-checking that we do. And some people don't like that because some people can be very certain about their beliefs and are very sure that politicians or public figures are lying and intending to deceive. And deceive. But we're very clear that we fact-check statements. And we, we very seldom, I, I actually can't think of an example where we have said that someone intentionally misled. Um, because in, the mo in most cases, we can't prove it. And for Africa Check, proof is very important. Um, but broadly, I think what's interesting, and, and it's maybe a bit of a win for fact-checking, is at the beginning of this year, we saw quite a strong talking point coming out of the ANC. And we saw President Ramaphosa repeat it twice. We saw the government Twitter account tweet it. We saw a number of um, ANC, um, you know, big players sharing it. And that was the claim that since 1994, um, the ANC has tripled the size of the economy in South Africa. Um, and this is an interesting example of where you can see, because it's being shared so widely, there was obviously a little sheet that was circulated and they were like, these are the points, talk about the points. Um, but in this case, it's an interesting example because there is some truth to this. Um, and that's often the, the type of information that is believed because if there's a tiny bit of truth, then people are more likely to believe it. And in this case, when we fact-checked it, we saw that 
Yes, technically it's correct to say that the economy has increased threefold since 1994, but that's only if you take into account inflation. Um, and if you speak to any economist, they'll tell you that that's definitely not what you should do. The economist we spoke to said that doing that gives you completely distorted figures. Um, and, and if you look at, if you remove inflation and you look at pure economic growth over that period, you'll actually see that the, the economy increased in size by 1.9 times, so almost doubled. Um, and we fact check this a lot. That's the thing we often like to keep hammering. Um, misinformation because you can't just do it once people keep sharing it and it was really interesting because we had the president president ramaphosa make that claim during the january 8th statement that it increased threefold and we fact checked it about two or three times and then a few weeks ago during a parliamentary question session um he said um the economy has increased almost two times mm. um and we can't again we have no proof we can't claim credit but it is an example of where, you know, if, if you do your job and you explain it and you increase the cost of getting it wrong, that people can change the type of information they share. Yeah. And I guess um, we don't want to go on for too long. Um, so maybe we should end by perhaps giving people some tips on how to spot misinformation and disinformation. And I guess, you know, they're the, they're the obvious ways um, in traditional media, but um, I suppose we would be more focused on social media platforms. Um, certainly from my perspective, that's kind of the, the locus of the most egregious misinformation. Um, would, you like, would you like to kick off with a couple of tips? Or? Yeah, so mine's a bit of a boring one, but I really do think that it is the first step. And that is, I, I, I really caution, I advise people to try and exert some impulse control. Um, we are we are primed on social media to receive information very quickly, process it, and to send it out again. And I think for the most part that if you're able to delay um, not your interaction with it, but your consideration of it, a, a lot of the time your natural skepticism, your natural questions and thoughts about the quality of the information um, arise. Um, and then from there, there are, there are a whole list of things that you can do to try and, and determine the quality. I'm sure you can offer some examples now. Yeah, well, but I mean, your, your point is so, so important um, because, I mean, basically it's like if you see something and you feel an emotion around that thing, that, that tweet or Facebook headline, whatever, has been designed to make you feel that way. So I think so. What you're saying is so important. You you got to take a step back and say, what is it? Why is it in the interest of these of this person, this uh, tweeter, this this news organisation to make me feel this way? Like, how am I being played? So I think that's yours is probably the most important point. I mean, my ones would be quite um, simple, really. And I think um, there's probably a um, a cheat guide on the Africa Check website. I seem to remember, and probably one on media monitoring Africa as well. Um, but it really is just to look for anomalies, you know. So people who retweet, um, you know, um, Twitter accounts that don't have pictures, I can't understand why you would do that. You know, it's like trusting a faceless person. Um, you know, things like looking for, um, you know, why is there been the sudden amplification of this particular hashtag? You know, um, all those signs that, you know, um, if, you are, if you are involved in a kind of discussion with some, somebody and a bunch of new information comes from other Twitter accounts to go and check 
where those Twitter accounts come from. You know, the number of American Twitter accounts tweeting about white monopoly capital in South Africa is like, like ask yourself why is somebody from Missouri tweeting about white monopoly capital in South Africa? And it's going to be because they they paid for or bought uh, bot farms um, or sock parts, something like that. So I guess that's that's the thing. It's common sense in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but I think your your tip is the most important one. It's just like stop, you know, mm-hmm. think. And I guess that's your act to news as well. It, it's not easy, um, especially because the reward on like we're, we're like one of the we're like a rat in one of those olden day experiments where we keep like hitting the pedal and it keeps giving us the cocaine water and like sharing information on social media is rewarding because it gives you attention because people respond to you because you get retweets um and you you have to you have to fight that impulse because you know maybe it's one day you treat retweet something that's not true but it doesn't have much consequence um but just recently we saw an enormous flood of misinformation and i think potentially disinformation onto twitter around the recent xenophobic violence in Durban. Um, and, and a lot of an interesting angle on that was this information being shared that foreign nationals were fighting back against South Africans and burning buses and attacking them and burning trucks. And I just thought, what a dangerous, and it all turned out to be false, the images were false. And I just thought, what a dangerous narrative to insert into a really volatile situation because there is already tension and now you're introducing this idea and maybe you as your you know really innocent person on twitter you retweet it because you think it's true and now you're helping to amplify that message which is incorrect and could possibly have enormous consequences for people yeah yeah yeah. i mean i I would end because i see we're up to 30 minutes and we vowed to be less verbose than the previous uh two uh people spoke on the show um I would say you know, two things. One is that there are loads of tools online as well to help you to do things, reverse image lookup. So you know, if we have a we have a, um, a MOOC, uh, a digital journalism MOOC, I think it's Academy.Africa, which gives you some of these tools as well. And they're on the SANF website and all over. You know, just ways you can check with like pl- plugins whether an image is of that actual event. So. That's the one thing. There are loads of tools out there, free tools to Google and find. But the other thing is that people say to me, well, this is on Twitter. It's not in the real world, which irritates me so much. Um, so I think it's probably worth spending a minute explaining why it's important. And, you know, that's because, first of all, there are like 21 million people on Facebook and 11 million or something on Twitter, 9 million, somewhere around there. I so that's, you, Chris. Yeah, please do. <laughs> so, so, well, Basically, there's a shitload of people on social media anyway, so you are reaching a lot of people. But also, you know, it reminds me of uh, when I used to work at uh, News 24, 24.com, um, where we discovered that most community radio stations, in fact, most radio stations in South Africa at the time, were running um, news broadcasts which were based on the News 24 headlines. So that they wouldn't bother with, you know, um, having news feeds or whatever. they just go to News 24, copy what was on there, and then they would tell their, their audience what the news agenda was that had been set by News24. It's the same with social media. So many journalists and newsrooms, because of like lack of resources and running out of money, are now using social media as a source of stories. You know, so something like um, the hashtag white monopoly capital starts on Twitter, but suddenly reaches a whole other audience because it's been disseminated by, by media, basically. 
Yeah, so I think. Yeah. So I'm just going to put yeah. my sound off, and you're going to have to cut. It's just going to cut this because it's a drill again. Okay, it's gone. Sorry, carry on. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point, and that's a really interesting part of misinformation is the way that it's amplified, and th that's also a decision that fact checkers and you and your colleagues will have to consider when we report on these issues. Is often we see. Um, narratives or misinformation campaigns going on online and they appear to be in their infancy and they may be being shared by quite small groups and you have to make a decision because you think this story is potentially quite big, they're spreading quite dangerous misinformation. Um, if we fact check it, we'll set the record straight, but we also might amplify that information to larger groups um, and maybe some of those groups will have also have um, bad intentions and will want to take that already existing narrative and spread it or do you leave it quietly and hope it dies and it never spreads yeah. um, and 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 we see the same thing when it comes to Twitter and not just media in South Africa but elsewhere is that in a way it is just Twitter but traditional media amplifies what's happening on Twitter to the rest of the public. Um, and it's sort of a feedback loop. So we can't dismiss what happens on Twitter, um, but we also have to take care in um, maybe focusing on claims or campaigns online um, and the role that we can play in amplifying them um, if, if they don't really pose a critical mass yet. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's why the, the, the mantra always is do not feed the trolls because <laughs> What that is, I mean, I've been following some um, people who are criticizing that new, the new Purple Cow Party, the ZACP, South African Britain's mm. Party, whatever it stands for. And um, I don't think that's right. <laughs> fact check that, please. But they, they, it, it, there have been a whole bunch of, uh, of moments I've noticed where they've been criticized and their answer has been, ha, but we made you notice us. And I was like, really, is that your rationale for being? political party to get noticed and of course it is and I think that's what we're talking about here that you know so often people are always saying why does the media give so much time to Malema and to the EFF you know now why are we giving time to the ZACP and that is a difficult balance you know I mean you can can you just hide away from misinformation yeah, can you just hide away from bad news you can't actually so you've got to understand how that amplification works and I think a lot of the onus is on readers and users and viewers to um to understand this as well, you know, that the moment of amplification by the media of misinformation, it's up to you to understand what is being amplified mm -hmm. rather than to just like buy into the misinformation trope. Yeah, so that was absolutely. my final thing. So I guess you can end us off. Yeah, so I, I think um, this is going to be aired before the elections. Um, so I really encourage anyone listening to if, if you see a claim, if you see information being spread online or in those things they call newspapers, um, please send it to us. Um, we, we fact check anything, um, we'll consider it, we'll see if we have scope to do it. Um, and also I, we're gonna ask um, the people who run this channel, we're gonna probably send them a few links so we can put some tools and tricks in the description box so that you can use them to help fight misinformation and, and, and see where the truth lies. Um, but really, I think there is a problem. It's on multiple different levels. It's a platform problem. It's a quality problem. Um, but we can do something about it. Um, and I'd encourage you to follow Chris's work, follow Africa Check's work, um, and you know, help us 
hold us accountable and yeah, join us online. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just just Samir's remark on my favorite Facebook update of the moment, which is from the Flat Earth Society, which says the Flat Earth Society has members all around the globe. So I guess uh, the point is like if you read misinformation carefully, there will always be something that stands out as stupidity. Hopefully. Yes. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Chris. Cheers. Bye.